I wonder how this finds you today, this time, end of term. This is the end of my first term here at uh, St. Matthias. And um, I'm really starting to enjoy it. It's not about me enjoying it, but I really am enjoying it. And if you'd said um, six months ago that I would be enjoying my time here, I'd have probably just cried about leaving my other church or whatever. But um, you guys are great. Each time I get, the word I've got is quality. And it's not, it's each, everything I see is really high quality. And I'm not just talking the material things like the coffee at the Play Cafe is on a different level. Um, but um, just everything, everything that happens here is just, is a, is a real seam of quality running through it from the worship. I mean, I look at the teams, I look, oh, you're on kids' team today. Oh, you're serving on cafe today. And it's like, you, there's a, such a servant-heartedness here. Um, you are really blessing this community. And if I could offer a word of encouragement very quickly, the blessings aren't always an immediate, you don't always see the blessing immediately. Sometimes you'll turn up for an event or turn up for a Sunday and you're doing. And you don't always see an instant reward. But I just think you need to think of this generationally. I think there'll be people you're encountering here in this parish who will be affected in generations to come. The things you're doing with the kids, the things you're doing with the parents when they come to the play cafe or, uh, or go to an event you do. You are sowing, you're, you're enriching the soil, like manure, maybe. Uh, <laughs> not the best compliment you've ever had, but I think you know what I'm saying. It's a generational thing. You know, God, God's time scale is different than ours. It's nothing to do with my sermon, but I just thought I'd say it. Um, so... When Tom asked me to talk about um, refugees, there's two thoughts that went through my mind. Yes, because there's something I'm passionate about, and there's just like a fear, because I know how polarizing the subject of immigration as a whole can be. I'm also intimidated by the quality in the room, and I'm aware that some of you may well, or all of you, may well be far better read on the issues of the world than I am. So it is a, uh, a polarizing issue. But what I wanted to do was not to set out what we think the government's policy should be on immigration. Uh, we're not going to get party political. The nature of it is it's a political subject, but we're not going to get party political. Um, I'm not going to be telling you what to think about it or what to do about it. Um, we're not even going to let you know what we're doing about it and how we want you to join in. Okay, so then you may ask, what are we doing? Well, we're going to offer a biblical perspective, a theological perspective on a subject that there are lots of perspectives voiced every day. You cannot fail to have the subject of immigration or refugee or asylum seekers or boats. It's just omnipresent in our background. It's obviously one of the pillars of Brexit. It's one of the five pillars of the government's strategies for the next years. It's in the social media, it's in the news, it's, on the, it's everywhere. I mean, I listen to Radio 4 in the morning because I'm that old. I have very affordable glasses and I also listen to Radio 4. And they did a brilliant series this week just on refugees around the world, around the country. So it's everywhere. So we're offering a, a biblical perspective, a theological perspective. It's a conversation starter. We want these two weeks to be a conversation starter, and we want to do what the church does, which is pray. Not just to pray, 
it might lead to action, but it might not. God might not be speaking to us as a church or even as individuals for this to be something we're getting involved in. But this, we've got two weeks, and in between, we've got lots of resources for us as a church to pray about this subject, to listen to what God might be saying to us around this subject of refugees. We've got a Bible study for you to do. It'll take 10, 15 minutes. I'd like to say I wrote it, but I can't blag that because when you get it, you'll clearly see it's not from me. Um, there are two early morning Zoom prayer meetings, one which Sympathias are hosting on Wednesday, one which I'm, as Sympathias, hosting on Tuesday with a family of churches. We'll be praying into the subject there. We've got Kingdom Come on Tuesday. Um, we've got some links we're going to send you. We've got a film you can watch, which is really enjoyable. So just... The idea is when Pete Gregg in his book, How to Pray, talked about how do we handle these big issues, he highlighted four things. First of all, get informed. Now we've all got, we've all got a level of information already and what our views are on this subject may be dependent on what we listen to, what the uh, algorithms on social media, what path it takes us down, what newspapers you read. Um, it will also be influenced by your own um, individual perspectives. So get informed, get inspired, uh, get indignant. Let's not forget this is a spiritual matter. There is a spiritual warfare going on in this world and we are called to step in to that fight. And it's gonna be a long attritional fight and we need to be indignant if we're gonna um, stick with it. And then the one I'm really interested in is getting in sync getting in sync with God and seeing what God is saying to all of us collectively to see if God is nudging us in any one way. So it's a conversation. This is, this is an example, I think, of something called liberation theology, which is the, the main theology at university I was interested in. I still haven't read the whole book. <laughs> it's very um, thick, but it really captured my heart. And... Um, Rather than a theology coming down from the ivory towers, it's a theology, a theology which comes up from the floor. It's a theology which is informed by practice and praying into practice rather than um, orthodoxy, which is correct thinking. This is orthopractice. This is how we should be acting and then working out a theology from that. So this is something which you can see, hopefully, I'm enthusiastic about. So... We will gather back next week. We will go a bit deeper into something. We will look at a bit of one of the aspects of what we're going to talk about today. We'll go deeper and we'll also try and gather in um, things that you think God may have been saying to you, things which have pricked your interest during the week. Um, yeah, and we'll take it from there over the summer. Is that okay? There's the introduction. Right, so hands up first of all oh well let's let's clarify what we're talking about um a word i love but a word i really struggle with to say so sojourners is the best i can get to sojourners because there isn't a word for refugee in the bible there is this phrase which comes up and sojourner would be residing in a community that is not their own uh, where they are dependent on the goodwill of the community for their continued existence other words which you see in the Bible, which might be there instead of refugee, would be resident alien, immigrant, foreigner, foreign resident, stranger. 
So these are the types of words. We have immigration, which is anyone who moves to a country. Then we have refugee, or sojourner, or asylum seeker, where people are fleeing from something because of danger, because of persecution. So this is not a wider conversation around immigration. This is a wider conversation around sojourners, refugees. So, quick show of hands. Uh, does anyone here work or have worked in the past with, in an environment which has brought you into contact with a refugee or with, with asylum seekers? Nice and high so I can see, where everyone can see. Okay, so definitely a good quarter. Um, has anyone, show of hands again, um, has anyone um, got a family member or a close friend who has been or is a refugee? One, two, three, four. Okay. And that probably is to be expected. In an environment like Five Ways, where houses apparently get sold within about 15 minutes of going on the market, and where house value is quite high, unless your work takes you into contact, round here there possibly isn't going to be that much contact day-to-day -day with people who have come here. Um, I guess the Ukrainian situation changed that slightly because we, for the first time we saw a lot of refugees living in people's houses. Whereas um, where I live over in Whitehawk, the refugees we come into contact, and there are a lot of them recently, um, have been people who have been given housing because the housing stock is cheaper, the housing stock is owned by the council, they can obviously um, use that for, for that reason. So it's quite common not to have day-to-day -day contact. But we're aware of this issue. And so what I wanted to do today was just briefly go through three aspects of this word refugee or sojourner. I'm going to look at it from the theme in the Bible. I'm going to look at it from an ordained instruction, what God tells us to do about them. And then we're going to look at it briefly around a kind of theological aspect. Because I just want... Because a lot of these verses are from the Old Testament. Leviticus, Deuteronomy. It's not the place I spend most of my time reading, if I'm honest. Um, so I just wanted to create a bit of a picture on what the Bible has to say about this to complement all the other noise that we see. And in that, list, in that email we, Tom sends out, there will be a list of other resources you can go to to get, if there is such a thing as unbiased facts, that isn't, hasn't been put through the filter of what the press, whichever way they lean, wants you to, um, to know. So first of all, um, let's have a look at some of the themes. I've mentioned the word already, but there is a theme of liberation within the Bible. We are individually liberated from the heaviness and the weightiness of our sins. On a very personal level, we have that relationship with a living God. And so God liberates us from that. But we see liberation as much more of a real, everyday, physical thing. Real is the wrong word, but a physical thing throughout the Bible. So we see um, the, the, the land of Israel, the, the people of Israel moving into Egypt. Free, uh, fleeing a famine, moving into Egypt being rescued by the Egyptians and then being put into slavery. 
We see them then fleeing the slavery. We see God liberating them out of bondage, out of slavery, into the promised land. It's this theme of a lost people, a lost individual, finding home. As an individual, we find home in God. And as the stories in the Bible often tell us, there is a, there's a people finding, physically moving. So there's a theme throughout the Bible of people going wrong, making right, going wrong, making right, being lost, being found, being rescued. And sometimes that's really physical. So that's the first theme, that there is a liberation theme throughout many of the narratives in the story. And then we get onto the ordained instructions, the literal instruction. Now, I know we get into difficulty with instructions because there was a valid, very valid argument. Well, that instruction applied to a certain time and a certain place. So the instructions on how to dress your altar for a sacrifice probably isn't that relevant today. But there are other instructions which pick up an ethos, which pick up an ethical teaching. And that's kind of what we're looking at here today. So the first uh, reading we've got is from Leviticus. Leviticus 19. When a foreigner resides among you in your lands, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So we are called to look out for the individual and to treat them as ourselves. That is very challenging. Very challenging. But it's quite clear. The people of Israel were called to look after the foreigner residing in their land because they themselves in the past have been that foreigner. I have lived a red led a truly blessed life. I have never wanted for anything insignificant, anything significant. I've been safe. I was the only kid in the hall of the school who didn't have a TV in the bedroom, I'm sure, but I wanted for nothing important in my life. But I can still get an idea, a little bit of a glimpse of what it must be like to be that foreigner in a different land and to be vulnerable. I mean, I've traveled. I traveled with a credit card, but I traveled independently on a bike riding through the back, out back of Australia and new, around New Zealand. And there were times when I was like, oh, I really don't know how this is going to go. And this is the only house for the next 150 miles. And if this person's a crazy person with a machete and a shotgun, I'm in trouble. And so to receive hospitality is like, oh. Thank you. I wasn't a person of faith until I did that journey. And my faith, my faith was re-sparked um, in some of those encounters. And some of the boredom as well. Just ended up talking to God. But there's, I, I got a real sense, and it stayed with me, of being so utterly dependent on other people for my well-being. I'd never experienced that before. And time and time again, I had that experience in a foreign land. And I know... It's completely insignificant. I'm not trying to equate it in any way with what people go through to get to these shores or to get to their country. But I'm just saying there's, a, there's something about the experience of, of being close to it which has stuck with me. God works through our experiences, and that was certainly one of the uh, ones he spoke to me. Next reading is Deuteronomy. 
This is why I command you to set aside for yourselves three cities. If the Lord your God enlarges your territory, as he promised on oath to your ancestors, and gives you the whole land he promised them, because you carefully follow all these laws I command you today, to love your Lord, your God, and to walk away in obedience to him, then you are to set aside three more cities. Do this so that innocent blood will not be shed in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you as your inheritance, and so that you will not be guilty of bloodshed. So we now see it moving from the individual to the corporate. God is instructing the Israelites to create set-aside spaces of safety, places where people will know they will be safe, they will be respected, they will be treated well. And then moving into the New Testament, in Luke 10, there's that familiar story where the scribe asks Jesus, what do I have to do to have eternal life? Now, I think in that situation, it's not too much of a stretch to say that when he says eternal life, he's not just thinking, what do I need to do to go to heaven after I die? But I think he's talking about the bigger issue of the kingdom of God. How do I live in this kingdom of God? How do I live the right way? And the answer Jesus gives is to love, the God, to love God 100%, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor. And then he goes straight into one of his parables, and he talks about the Good Samaritan. So Jesus is highlighting that your neighbor isn't just the person you've bonded with, rightly so, in your house, next to your house, who possibly is quite similar to you, but it's actually your enemy, or it's the person you feel uncomfortable about. Your neighbor is not just the people we feel comfortable with. And so we've got these very clear instructions. And people with a bigger brain than me, I'm sure, will be able to argue down the importance of what we do with them. But I think they're not the kind of instructions that were just relevant to that context. And then theological. What are the kind of teachings that aren't always as obvious but are there running throughout the Bible? Should we go to Exodus? Then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. And then we're going to the next one, which is John 1. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So both of those readings, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament, is this example of God coming into the earth, coming into the tabernacle in the Old Testament and being carried around with the Israelites as they moved around. So they, he was instructed to make him welcome. And then in the New Testament, God obviously coming in the form of Jesus, being incarnate. But both of those are examples of God stepping in to our world. And this is where the reciprocal relationship really kicks in. Because God is the obviously the dominant partner in this relationship. God is God. He doesn't need us to make him welcome. He could have made the tabernacle. He didn't need us to welcome Jesus. 
but he invites us to welcome him in. But at the same time, he invites us into him. There's this reciprocal relationship. God invites us, but we have to invite him into our life as well. And of course, Jesus said, when you invite the least, the weak, the stranger, the elderly, the orphan, when you in, the prisoner, when you invite them in, you're inviting me in. So when we look at the picture, which we see um, on Alpha quite a lot, um, the picture of, sorry, I didn't, give, I didn't set that up very well. There is a picture um, of Knock and I shall, yeah, we are. We, talk, we often think of this as a personal relationship with Jesus. He knocks at the door and will we let him in? But what Jesus is saying, I'm knocking on your door. I'm knocking on your door as a refugee. And when you see that refugee, you see me. Will you welcome me in? And I think... There's a bit of a wake-up call. Um, we won't read it now, but if you read Matthew 25 when you go home, it's quite hard-hitting what Jesus has to say about how we treat those who um, don't look like us, who are needy, who are demonized, who are potentially not legitimate refugees. And so that's the three things I just wanted to get us to think about today. Just wanted us to think about the themes of refugees in the Bible, the actual God-ordained instructions on how we deal with those who were classed as refugees, and then some of the deeper theological where it's, oh, so it's not just charity, it's about a reciprocal relationship. And what does that look like? So we've been on a, we'll come back to that one next week more, but we've been on a journey with that over at the food bank in Whitehawk. It was very much always a case of, there you are, there's food, arm's length, we're being good Christians. And there was a rule that we had. I don't know where it came from. Was if, you were in, if you were receiving food, you couldn't be part of the team. And I don't know why it was there. I don't know where it came from. I inherited it. And it just felt like wrong. And the minute we took that rule away and we said, right, anyone can be part of this team within limits, it made it so much more messy. Everything took so, so, so much longer to do, but it was so much richer. And then the food bank became the food bank of the community, not the church food bank. And the ownership over that building and over that, what we do it was massive. So, but we'll look into that a bit more next week. Um, I think I'm supposed to be off. So, what I haven't done this week is given you any kind of um, stories or anecdotes or re living uh, examples. Um, the person I had lined up in my mind to come and speak to us, I'll call Paul. And um, I, met, I asked if I could meet with him and we sat down. I've known him for years. A wonderful, godly man. Uh, beautiful family. And, um, but never really got to know them that well. And I'd heard a few stories, and I sat down with him. And I kid you not, five hours later, well, it's two sittings, two and a half hours, my wife was calling me, you're supposed to be home, you're supposed to be home. 
this most amazing story of redemption, of coming to faith, of challenges. Um, but it was, why I'm telling you this, was just, it took it to a whole new level. It took the, my knowledge of what it is to be a refugee to a whole new level because I had that proximity, I had that closeness. I had some images in my head of what his life was like and what his background was, and it just blew it out of the water. So um, my encouragement for you this week is when the email comes through from Tom, it'd be great if we get the band back up and we're going to pray in a minute, but um, when the email comes through from Tom this week, um, it will just have some resources in there. It would be amazing if this week we could all engage in the Bible study. Like I say, it was six days. It'll take you about 10 or 15 minutes. And it just digs a bit deeper into some of the things, the issues we'll be looking at. There'll be loads of resources in there to look at, to watch the film. If you haven't seen The Swimmer or The Swimmers, the most amazing film. Um, so things like that, and we've got the events coming up. But it would just be so good as a church if we could collectively hear what God might be saying to us about this subject, which um, isn't going anywhere. God miracle aside in the next couple of years, and he stops all the wars, and climate change is reversed, this, the issue of refugees is only going to get bigger. Any authority you, you look at and you read about with any credibility will tell us that the numbers are just going to increase. And our way of, um, of living and what we want to be as a church, it's just kind of like, well, how do we do that? We're, we're behind the curve in many ways, but actually in the long term, if we're in this for a long duration, what can we do as a church if we're called to do anything? <laughs>